The automobile is one of the most important inventions that revolutionized the modern world in America. The rich history of car culture runs deep as technology continues to shape the future of the industry. Jason Stein, former publisher of Automotive News, is here to share the stories of people passionate about cars, from industry leaders and innovators to car-obsessed celebrities. Buckle up as Jason takes you inside the boardroom, onto the track, and around the bend on Cars and Culture on Sirius XM Business Radio. Welcome to Cars and Culture. I'm Jason Stein in Detroit. More than 18 months ago, we set out to document something very unique for the SiriusXM audience. The mission was simple. We wanted to record the culture behind the car. We wanted to hear from the people who love them, race them, designed them, sang about them, and built businesses as a result of them. Cars and culture. A straightforward mission wrapped around passion, affection, devotion, and adoption. What we've heard in the last 18 months have been unimaginable stories from people with fascinating tales to tell. If anything, our introduction to more than 80 guests, actors, CEOs, comedians, movie producers, racers, has highlighted what we thought to be true. The car world is filled with fascinating people from all walks of life. And they all have one thing in common. They care about the automobile. Throughout this journey, the stories have been rich and the personalities have been dynamic. This week, we highlight several key interviews from this past year, pulling together clips from some of the best of the best. In this episode, you'll hear from Sony Pictures boss Tony Vinciquera, as well as TV personality Michael Strahan and Linda Zhang, the lead engineer on the Ford F-150. Hollywood leader, network superstar, lead engineer of a very important truck. It's a microcosm of the stories told on Cars and Culture each week. We hope you enjoy them as much as we enjoy reliving them. Now, my conversation with Sony Pictures boss, Tony Vinciquera, and we start with a question about the relevance and importance of Speed Channel when it was on American TV. Speed Channel was a terrific, a terrific concept. It had already started when I, it was a tiny channel when I got there um, and, and took over leadership of it. And it was doing okay, um, but we had to expand the, the coverage of it. We, we put NASCAR racing on it. We got the, we brought the, Formula Run, Formula One here. Um, we we brought a lot of uh, a lot of other um, car centric businesses, including the Barrett Jackson Auction, which in you know as a partnership we grew Barrett Jackson to where it is today on Speed Channel. And you know things changed over time. We had it for many years, and then they uh, went and did other things, and we went and did other things. And Speed Channel, after I left Fox, it went away. They turned it into. I think Fox Sports 2 or Fox Sports 1, I don't re recall exactly which channel it was, but we, it was a very profitable channel, did very, very well. The NASCAR, I mean, that was the ascension of NASCAR as well, which, you know, dealing with the, the France family was a great experience. Bill France, was, Bill France Sr. was just a terrific man and really enjoyed working with him. And it was a confluence of events around that time because you had some superstars who were really emerging. You had Jeff Gordon right. coming onto the scene around that time, yep. 2001. And it became a very competitive, and it became incredibly popular. Right. It was a stroke of genius. I mean, yeah. it was uh, well, again the the, the <laughs> headline to my career: being in the right place at the right time. <laughs> but in the Bear Jackson auction too, you know, Bear, when it first went on, when it first when we first put it on the air and really started growing, it was doing very significant ratings and grew their business tremendously. It's hard to think now, Tony, that those properties wouldn't in. We'll get to Formula One in a moment, mm -hmm. but that those properties wouldn't have had a true home or wouldn't have even been conceived at that point mm -hmm. when you think about where we are today. Yep, right. The growth, the, you know, the trajectory over the last 20 years has been fantastic. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For it, sure. Could you have envisioned that or 
Well, we, we saw that NASCAR was growing very rapidly. It wasn't always the easiest negotiation with, with NASCAR. But, uh, you know, we saw that it was growing and we wanted to kind of hitch our ride to it, so mm -hmm. to speak, and we did. And they did with us too, because we also put it on the Fox Broadcast Network. We put, you know, the, uh, the Saturday truck races and the, and the other series, the, the, the various names of the series, on, uh, on, on Speed Channel, and then on the Broadcast Network, we would have Fox. Uh, excuse me, we'd have the major race on Sunday. And uh, they, they, worked, they just worked really, really well. And then, you know, NASCAR decided they wanted to be a more metropolitan-based business and made some mistakes, and their popularity now has hmm. waned a bit. Um, but still, extraordinarily, uh, extraordinarily popular um, concept, NASCAR racing. If you go to one of the races, and if you've ever been to of one, course, yeah. you see the trailers and the, and the RVs that just follow them around, and it's just the passion behind that business is so enormous. They're moving cities exactly. more than anything else. Exactly. Yeah, with a fervor yeah. for drivers and winners and losers and uh, uh, protagonists. And, yeah. uh, <laughs> and it's all about I'm number eight or I'm number three. Right. You know, Dell. The Dale Earnhardt, Dale Earnhardt number three was people still wear his hat and his shirts and his, yeah. yeah. Well, we've had Jeff Gordon on this program as well as mm -hmm. uh, Rick Hendrick and, mm -hmm. and Jeff talked about how they went to Madison Avenue, you know, more than anything else. It was a, it was a yep. complete transformation. For it that, was, for that it whole was, group. absolutely. Yeah. And Rick Hendrick did, you know, enormous work for, for NASCAR and for Barry Jackson as well because right. he's always at the auctions buying lots of cars. You like the auction side of the business too, don't you? You, you. Mm -hmm. There, there have been reports of you being at auctions. Uh, I've been at a lot of auctions. Uh, <laughs> Tell me about that. Well, I'm very friendly with, with Steve Davis at, at Barrett-Jackson, who you know, is the heart and soul of that business. I don't know if you know Steve, but he's, he's just a terrific guy. And uh, you know, I know David, da uh, David Gooding very well. Our kids went to school together, actually, mm -hmm. in, uh, in L.A., so I got to know David through the auctions and through there. Um, it's just a lot of fun to, to go to the auctions and see the energy and the enthusiasm and the uh, the financial backing of people that go to these things. You just came from from Monterey, where you mm -hmm. saw a couple of million couple of couple million dollar cars mm -hmm. sell, I guess, right? Mm -hmm. So twenty million with one Ferrari. Really? Right. Wow, it's a, it's a very active business yeah. right now. It for is sure. It is. Um, so you gave it a home. You gave Barrett Jackson a home. And what was the concept behind creating um, a uh, television marketplace for that? Well, it, it was it was actually on Speed Channel when I got there, but it was not. But you blew it up. We, we blew it up right. in a big way. Um, the concept was it was doing very good ratings, and we thought it's always better to have good ratings than not good ratings. So we, put, yeah. we expanded the programming and, uh, and, and put really, really talented people on the stage, or on the, you know, on the block to, to really position and promote the cars and talk about the cars. And we brought race car drivers in to talk about the you know, as, as correspondents, really, that would go out in the, in the, in the uh, lineup where all the cars mm -hmm. are coming and talk about the various cars, and it really, it really worked well. Again, being, you know, being on the ascendancy of a business is, uh, is always a good thing. So Formula One, so yep. you gave Formula One almost the same kind of perch as well. I mean, Formula One, it, for those who think that, it, that it's all drive to survive and, and, and this, you know, excitement mm -hmm. around these American events mm -hmm. has been here forever, the truth is, it was hard to find on Sundays. Yes. Right. Well, it was it was hard to find uh, in the U.S. television marketplace because it was not always on. But the real problem was the races were on at different times around the world. 
the interesting thing is when we put it on Speed Channel, we saw that the races did 40,000 viewers, no matter what time they were on, hmm. midnight, 3 a.m. Just a passionate following. Just an awesome, yeah. awesomely passionate following. And uh, you know, we, we focused a lot on it, but we could never really grow it to a really sustainable hmm. level. Um, because there weren't any races in the U.S. until the last couple of years, so you know I left Fox 11 years ago, um, so I never, re I didn't see the growth of it. But it was, you know, going to a, an event was an event. I mean, it yeah. was they were just wild, wildly popular events, and bringing races to the U.S. really have has positioned the race, the racing concept in a very, very aggressive way. Yeah, you know, the Miami race. Every I don't know if you went to the Miami no, race. No, I wasn't there. Everybody, everybody I talked to went to that race. Yes, they did. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I didn't go, but everybody <laughs> right. I knew went to that race. Yeah, Miami and now the fervor around Las Vegas and, of course, Austin, which yeah. has now already been established now. And we're talking about New York now, too. Yeah, so. yeah. And there's, there's, um, uh, it's been fascinating to, to see that kind of passion. Do you, do you attribute it to, uh, given the fact that there are no American drivers, mm -hmm. do you attribute it to what Netflix did? Well, a piece of it, but you know, the ownership of the, the Formula One is sure. now an American company. It's yeah. owned by Liberty Media. Liberty Media, right? And they're an American company, and they're focused on it. They know how to market, and they know how to build these businesses. So, you know, you could argue that it wasn't really run as a business in the past. It was run as kind of a hobby. You know, the, the Ecclestone Ecclestone sold it to a private equity company in Europe, so it was still Eurocentric. It's owned by an American company now, right? And I think that has a lot to do with it. Plus, the Netflix. Drive to Survive has helped it somewhat, for sure. And Stefano De Monacali said on this program that, that they would kind of come to, when the races were in America, they would come to America mm -hmm. and they would leave and there would be no further connection right. with the American public. Right. But now there's a sustained voice that's here right. in the marketplace. Because it's an, it's an American, owned by an American company now, right. which is a big, big difference. Right. And the Netflix piece, obviously. You a car guy? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 You drive a Lucid. I have I, well, I have a I actually have a car dealership that uh, that I started when I left Fox in 2011 called Sophie's Garage, named after my daughter, who is a very big car fan. Um, and uh, so I've bought and sold dozens of cars over the over the years. Tell me about Sophie's Garage. It's just a small online uh, dealership that I'll buy. Well, I'm not actively working it right now because I have a day job, <laughs> so it's a little difficult. But, but in the six years between uh, working at Fox and coming to Sony, um, I worked a pretty, a pretty, pretty aggressively. I had you know, eight or ten cars at a time and would find things that I thought would appreciate mm -hmm. and hopefully sell at a profit and mm -hmm. did okay. Didn't make a lot of money, but had a lot of fun. Had a lot of, had a lot of fun with it. And the, the dealership is still active and at some point I'll go back to it wow. again. It's great to be a car dealer in America. It really is. It really yeah. is. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. And I've had dozens of cars that you know I've got to gotten to gotten to drive and spend some time with and um, revitalize dead batteries and all the things mm -hmm. that go along with having a bunch of cars sitting around. I had a I had a uh, um, hangar at the Santa Monica Airport right next door to Jerry Seinfeld's. Okay. Um, right down the street from Jerry Seinfeld's. Who, ironically, we sell Jerry so sell Jerry show, and we just with him a couple of weeks ago. Actually, he has an amazing. I don't know if you've seen what he amazing has portion. We've amazing. we've seen him at Pebble Beach in the past. Yeah, yeah, yeah He's been a frequent. Was he there Saturday? There. We didn't see him, no. but 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 he has been there, and yeah. his Porsche collection is legendary. And of course, yeah. the the uh, uh, recent uh, uh, Jay Leno uh, appearance in a in a uh, Porsche was also one to remember too. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Jay, uh, we, we um, on Sundays, myself and Jay, Jay uh, Leno and Skip Ferston and Jerry Seinfeld, they were, Jay and Jerry and uh, Skip were filming a movie here and we'd all get together on a Sunday morning for coffee occasionally. So it was always a lot of fun. Cars and coffee with Jerry Seinfeld. Cars and coffee with Jerry Seinfeld <laughs> and Jay Leno, who is, you know, encyclopedic knowledge of cars. If you We have had him on the show as well. Yeah. We toured his garage. Yeah, you mention a car to him, he'll tell you all about the history of it. Phenomenal. The problems with it, what the weak points were, what the strong points are. You know. So you're hanging with car guys on the, on the weekends. Occasionally, yeah, not always, <laughs> but occasionally, yeah. That's a special Cars yeah. and Coffee group. That's one of the reasons I bought the Lucid. He said it was a great car. And, yeah. You know. What else do you have in your stable of vehicles? Well, right now I don't have a lot. I have, a, I have the Lucid. I have a, my, my favorite car, I have to say, is Chevy Volt. Mm. I've had three of them now, mm -hmm. and they're just they're, they, it's so sad that they stopped manufacturing them because they're terrific cars, but I do understand that it cost them more to make them than they sold them for. So right, <laughs> right. But they're just great you cars. You can appreciate that yeah, consideration. I do, I do appreciate that, but they're just great cars. I have sitting one out here. I drive it to work every day. Yeah. Um, and I'm sad that I can't buy another one because this one's three years old now, four years old now. Mm. Um, and I have the Lucid, uh, Lucid Air, the, my number 123, I think, okay. of the Lucid Air. It's a total screamer. It is very fast. Uh, you can't hear it, but it's a screamer. It, is, <laughs> right. it goes very fast. It feels like it's going to do a wheelie if you hit the accelerator too hard. And then I drive a, an old uh, G-Wagon occasionally, too. Wonderful. So, But I'm waiting on a Z06 right now. I have my order in right. and waiting on that. So. Right, right. Well, another another heck of a great ride. Yeah. You knew Carol Shelby, right? Yes, Legendary very well. Legendary Carol Shelby. Very well, yes. Tell me about him. Carol, boy, I knew Carol, I think Carol died in 2012 or so. Mm. I knew him for about 10 or 12 years before that. And we would have lunch at Beller, Beller Country Club where he mm -hmm. held court a lot and would have lunch with mm -hmm. him quite a bit there. Um, and he was, just, he was just a very, very entertaining guy. And I've had all of, I've, I've owned and driven most of his cars, including a Series 1. Wow. Um, I had a legendary. Uh, legendary car. I'll tell you a story about that in sure. a moment. But, um, my, my favorite of his cars was a, I had a 68, uh, 500 uh, GT500 convertible blue marina blue mm. with a white top which is a beautiful car and lovely car and it goes straight really really well it doesn't turn or stop so well <laughs> and Shelby, Carol was fine with that by the way he said I just have to get them go fast I don't care if they go around the corner or not <laughs> but he the loves straight line acceleration he does love he loves straight line yeah. horsepower yeah. that was it but uh, the Series 1 was really the only car he built from the ground up. And, you know, it had that, uh, that Oldsmobile engine in it, the six-cylinder mm -hmm. engine. And a few, he made a few cars with a supercharger in it. The, the original, the, the non-supercharged non engine was about 400 horsepower, so he had it tuned up pretty well. The supercharger uh, was more. And when, he, when I mentioned to him I had this car, he said, uh, I bought it at a Bear Jackson auction, as a matter of fact. When I mentioned to him that I had this car, he said, uh, let me have it. I want to put a supercharger on. I have all these parts left over from when I was building the car at his, uh, he had this uh, facility down in Carson. And I said, how long will it take? He said, I'll be quick. All the parts are there. So it takes the car, bring the car down. And this, this warehouse he had was stocked with amazing cars. Lots of Cobras, everything you could imagine, some, some Woodies, I mean, hundreds of, probably a hundred cars in the place, just amazing, wow. amazing cars. So I dropped the car off to the mechanic that he says is going to do this, and he says, okay, fine, takes the car. 
So about a month later, I called Carol. Hey, Carol, how's, how's the car going? He says, oh, let me, let me check with, I think the guy's name was Joe. Let me check with Joe and see how it's going. And he says, oh, he's still working on it. So another month goes by, six months or now have gone by. And I go down to see Joe. I said, uh, how's it going? And he, he said, you know, we have to fabricate every part that we're putting into this because there were no parts left over. Said, well, Carol told me he had all these parts left over. So it took him like eight months to do the thing. And I, have a, I have a picture of Carol and myself in front of the car. I can show you. Wonderful. But finally, the car is done. So I go to pick it up, and it's a rainy day. And the car now has like 700 horsepower, oh. and it weighs about, I don't know, 2,200 pounds. And it was scary to drive. How'd you get it home? It was, it was scary to drive. <laughs> Last fall, I sat down with TV personality Michael Strahan. Now, a portion of my interview with Michael, and I start my conversation about the first car that he bought his parents after he made it big in the NFL with the New York Giants. First car, yeah. First I car. I bought the Cadillac STS, and I bought myself a GMC Typhoon. And a Toyota Supra Turbo. And a right. Toyota Supra. Typhoon first. C, C, uh, STS for my parents, a GMT Typhoon, and then in 1994, I bought myself a um, Toyota Supra um, Turbo with the big spoiler on the back. I wish I still had that car to this day. <laughs> you just roll around New York in that? I would roll around New York in it every day. I mean, those those two were my everyday cars. And um, now I look back at, at those and I go, wow, how lucky was I to have those two as my first car that I ever bought? And my everyday cars, but they were fantastic. I've always been a car guy. Growing up with my brothers in Germany, and we're on the school school bus, and we're in the car with my parents, and a nice car drives by, and we're like, that's my car. No, I I picked it first. Like, we're arguing with each other. We bought every car magazine you could imagine, if it it was in German, if if it was in English. And my mom would say, if you didn't spend so much money on magazines, you probably could afford a car. Right now. <laughs> and she she may have had a she probably was right. <laughs> she had a point there. She had a point there. Well, and you're and you're you're growing up. And this is what happened with uh, my kids. You're 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 growing up in the Autobahn is in your backyard. Thank I you. I mean, you have the pinnacle of of performance and, you know, where cars are meant to be driven. I mean, mm-hmm. not necessarily up on the, you know, the Upper West Side, but I mean, you know, from Mannheim to Munich. Yeah. And that was the thing. I mean, you had the Autobahn, Mannheim to Munich, Mannheim to Frankfurt, Mannheim to Kaiserslautern, Mannheim, anywhere. You get on those and you go. And and I love that. But, you know, people think the Autobahn, I never, I, I see driving here. I always felt like driving here is more dangerous. I felt more unsafe here driving than ever on the Autobahn, where the speed limits were limitless, I guess, if you want to put it that way, because of the rules. Yep, and everyone followed the rules. And you didn't get a license because you hit a certain age. And um, and 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 they gave you a license because of that. You actually had to go to school that you had to pay for. And right. you had to drive a stick shift. And you had to parallel park. And you had to do all these real-world things that it just wasn't easy. So when everyone got on the road there, everyone understood the rules and everyone obeyed the rules. So... I've always loved driving on the Autobahn. I've always loved going fast. Here, I don't have that that luxury unless you go to a racetrack, but I still love my cars, the ones that go fast. I just don't go as fast with them on the regular roads here. And you, your first car that you learned to drive on was a German car. It's the same car that I learned to drive on. Yeah, Volkswagen? GTI. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Volkswagen GTI. I still, I still love a good rabbit. 
I still, <laughs> I still, I see a rabbit. I just smile. Brings back such good memories, such good memories. You were, um, I, I think there have been a couple of YouTube um, videos that are out there that talk about the collection that that you have now. What do you like that's in your collection? Oh What's man, I like stuff? all of it. That's why I have it. The problem is, I, I at this point, I'm, I'm I'm kind of evolving it right now. I feel. I think I'm going to probably get a, out of a lot of things that I bought that I've always been kind of just as a kid growing up that you've always wanted and to you wanted to have. Yeah. Yeah. That you wanted to have and, and probably get out of some of those just to get that one special instead of having many have one special one. I've never just had one car, but I mean, that one special that takes up some of the other ones that I bought just because I always wanted them as a kid. But what I love right now, you know, the car I've had the longest in my collection um, is my, uh, well, one is longer in terms that I owned it before and bought it back. But the other one, as far as continuous ownership, is a SLR McLaren Roadster, which I love. And I've had that car for, you know, 15 years or so. Um, 722 edition. No, not the 722. Just the, the SLR Roadster. Um, oh, the SLR Roadster. Okay. Yeah. So, which I love. And I love the 722, trust me. Uh, but but I bought this car 15 years ago and I'm just, I adore it. I love it. It's so much fun to drive and comfortable for me. And so I'm always partial to that. I walk into the garage and I look and I keep thinking, what should I get rid of? And then there's so many I'm looking, oh, I kind of like, oh, there's a reason. And there is a reason behind everything. So I think between that, between the second oldest I've longest I've had is my LM002. Lamborghini. Yeah, Lamborghini. The original Lambo Rambo, Rambo Lambo, whatever they call it. Lamborghini and, truck. <laughs> yes. And so I'm, I'm partial. So You're not going to find a V. You can find a V12 truck now. I mean, um, uh, Ferrari's about to come out with one, but you don't find any that are five-speed sticks and 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 just that presence that it has. It's nothing like it. Um, so I, I I love that. I have a, a Ford GTX one, which I enjoy um, a, a lot. And I, what else? You know, God, I can keep on going. Porsche Carrera so many, GT. What's that? A Porsche Carrera GT. Oh, I had that, and I sold it. I just sold okay. that a little bit over about a year ago, and now I want to kick myself in the head for selling it because it was a bad. I I sold it at what I thought was a great time, but it didn't turn out it wasn't such a great time because now the price will continue to escalate. But I really enjoy driving that car. It's nothing closer to driving. I I would feel like a street car that sounds and feels F one ish in a lot of ways. Um, it was a little tight at times. Like I could drive it for a certain amount of time and I had to take a little break, but I absolutely adored that car. It's such a beautiful car. And, and that's a car that um, of all the ones that I've gotten rid of, I, I felt like I let that one get away when I shouldn't have. So you, you just cut out when you said that you sold it. Can you, can you just repeat that line for me? Yeah, I, I, I sold it and I want to kick myself in the, in the face every time I think about it because <laughs> it, was, it was a car that I loved. When people say, what was your favorite car to drive? And that was it. And I don't know why I sold it. Like, what was I thinking? It was a, it probably, you know, it was a little tight and I didn't drive it as much as I probably should have. But every time I drove it, it gave me so much joy, like a smile on your face because the, the sound, there's no other car that sounds as incredible as the the Carrera GT. And um, I absolutely love and adore that car. And maybe one day I'll get another, who knows? 
when you and I bumped into each other earlier this year, I told you that we had just had Guy Berryman on uh, the mm -hmm. program, uh, bass player for Coldplay, and the art director of a magazine that you admire a ton. When it arrives, you look at Road Rat Magazine and you go, I don't know when it arrives, but it's here and I love it. Yeah. You know what? I tell you, I'm a big Coldplay fan, by the way. So when I heard that guy with a big card guy, I freaked out. I freaked out. Friend put us in touch, told me about Road Rat. I subscribed to Road Rat. And like you, I'm like, I don't know when it's coming, <laughs> but when it, when it gets here, it's more than worth the wait because it is so well done. Yeah. Um, it is so that just everything from the articles to the photography, just everything is so well done. You can tell it's done by someone who loves cars. It's not done. I don't feel as something like a commercial magazine to get 2 billion subscribers to. I think it's done by someone who loves car cars, who's making something that, that of course they want people to buy it, but I think they also, um, it's something that they would want for themselves. Yeah. Yeah, and, and beautiful so copy. I'm, I'm happy that guy has done it. I'm I'm a big fan of his um, and his career, but I'm also probably a bigger fan of what he does with his cars because he has a, a great collection himself. Is there something I asked to Honey Jones this? Is there something with NFL players and vehicles? Like the, those two just go hand in hand, don't they? Athletes and vehicles. Well, I think it's it's weird. I think certain guys drive them because it creates a certain status, I guess, or the way that they want to be seen. For me, it's always been because I just love cars. So I've always had unusual cars. When I played for the Giants, you would come to the stadium and I would have the, the LM002 sit in the parking lot. I mean, I would have um, Aston Martins and like old school Volante Vantages and other things that you usually don't see in the NFL parking lot because usually it's the new this or the new that. I always had classics. And yeah, but I think there's definitely a thing between athletes and, and vehicles because it's like a, a status symbol in a lot of ways. But I know for me, it's always kind of been that child who always would be on the school bus hollering, that's my car. It just gave me, now I have the opportunity to actually say, that's my car. And, and, and but you know, it doesn't come without hard work, obviously. So if we cull down the collection, if we eliminate the things that you, you know, maybe you always wanted, now you've had, what do you really want? What do I really want? Stop, oh. Mr. Stray. Well, I got I got a few cars coming that I ordered that I really um I really want. Um one being the um the um SCG 004S Glickenhaus center seat. I ordered mine with a manual transmission. Uh so I can't wait for that. That's gonna be fun. Kind of the the American uh, McLaren F1 experience. I also ordered a SSC Totara, fastest wow. car on the planet, which yeah. I actually drove it at Monticello Racetrack. And I, I went there because a friend of mine, Jason Castriota, who designed for Pina Farina, he also designed Glickenhaus's P4, P5 Ferrari. He designed this car um, um, for Jared Shelby. And I went just to support him and to drive the car at the track. And I got out of that thing with the biggest smile on my face because I, I love supercars, obviously, but I feel like a lot of times, a lot of supercars all start to feel the same. You know, the paddles, it gets a little boring, gets a little monotonous. Uh, but with that car, I was just absolutely blown away. And I hadn't had a smile on my face like that in a modern car in a long time. Um, so I can't wait for that. I'm, I'm, I'm turning, I'm a big Big Koenigsegg fan now. I was going to ask you. So we sat with Christian at uh, Pebble Beach 
uh, with his vehicle that he just created, which oh, was amazing. 50th, 50th birthday present yeah. to himself. Well, you know, the amazing thing is I drove the first one, the first one in that model. Yeah, I drove it. It was the only the only one in the country at the time. And this was man, this was years ago when it was Dave Koenigsegg was no one really knew them. It was the first model he made. I knew about him, obviously, from all the magazines I bought. My mom told me I shouldn't have bought. <laughs> and so I, I, I get an opportunity to go out and test drive one that was for sale. I drove that car and said, this car is going to kill somebody. <laughs> it, was, it was a manual. It was yep. so fast. I don't even know if the traction control was on at the time. This thing was squirrely. And I love how far he's come. And I love how innovative he is. He's very innovative, right? So yeah. in, the, in the new, the 50th anniversary birthday gift to himself, it's a manual or stick. What? <laughs> I mean, the single the single clutch transmission, like, like the transmission just... Automatic or stick. Automatic, yeah. yeah. It does both, yeah. Yeah, this guy is the automatic in it, does the manual transmission. Yep. But yep. then it's, it's really amazing what he has been able to build and just the, the car, the beautiful. I'm a big Koenigsegg fan, obviously. And I at the Valhalla, the Aston Martin, have that on order too. Um, Wonderful. So quite a few things I'm waiting to see and check out. And hopefully they're as good as I picture they'll be. <laughs> Let's talk about a couple more subjects and then we'll let you go on to your 20th job. <laughs> um, religion of sports. Yeah. Uh, you are in with Tom Brady, uh, co-founded, uh, and uh, Gotham Chopra. Um, where is, where is that these days? What, what progress are you making? And tell me a little bit about it. Well, religion of sports, it actually got them. And I sat down in a, in a, in a, in a cafe, not even a cafe, like a diner in LA years ago. And, you know, uh, uh, got them is the son of Deepak Chopra. So he's very spiritual. And we were talking about how the intersection of sports and religion, like a, the cathedral is the stadium. The fans are the parishioners. The demigods are the athletes. You know, the the priests are the coaches. You know, all those different and how it all how sports really like like religion gives people hope, or or you know, and and it's something that they lean on in despair. It's something that takes their mind off of everything and kind of lets them focus for a certain amount of time. Uh, and, and so we came up with religion of sports and how sports is so important to culture and all just not to hear we think about our few sports, but there's so many sports around the world that we've been able to dive into. And but we've created um, we've won Emmys with the show, which is with the with the production company, which has been great with Tom versus time, Steph versus the game. We did the Simone Biles doc um, around her and, and the Olympics and everything that she went through, which we didn't know. Was he was gonna you know bow out of a lot of it because of her mental health issues and but just to be so close to all these things and and to produce an incredible um, content we got a Conor McGregor documentary coming out um, and it's just been fantastic to be honest with you we we have a, a great board we've raised um, uh, a lot of money and we've been doing very very well and and we have. So many fun, creative projects that are that are on in the pipeline right now, and we're just looking forward to continuing to build that business. And and you know, you got to imagine when you're in business with a guy like Tom Brady, everything Tom does, it's like got to be the best of the best. And I love that he operates like that because that's the way I operate. So um, between Gotham, myself, and Tom, we've been able to build one heck of a business and 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 have some great partners to help us along the way. 
you still shake your head when you think about what Tom's been able to do. I mean, oh, yeah. I know he's I know he's a great partner, and you've said he's a great guy, but he's yeah. also a great player. Yeah, <laughs> under forty-five years century. old. Yeah. I mean, forty-five years old, you get out of the bed and stuff aches just because you woke up. You know, so I don't know how. He is playing football and taking hits and moving around and just to practice. And I always physically, I knew I could have played a few more years of football. Physically, I could have. Mentally is where I knew I was done. I was tired. I was tired of uh, pregame speeches and I was tired of taping my fingers and, and, in, in my ankles and practice and just tired mentally, it wears you down, but to do it for over 20 years at the high level in which he's done it. I, I, I can't imagine his, the, the mental strength that he has. And I know when he's done with football, he's going to apply that towards religion and sports and, and anything else that he does. And there's no way, shape and form in my mind, he's not going to be successful because this is a guy who's, gonna work and do whatever it takes to to be so but my hat's off to him 45 years old still playing football forget about it after the break i'll continue our look back at 2022 on carson culture the automobile is one of the most important inventions that revolutionized the modern world in america the rich history of car culture runs deep as technology continues to shape the future of the industry jason stein former publisher of automotive news is here to share the stories of people passionate about cars from industry leaders and innovators to car obsessed celebrities buckle up as jason takes you inside the boardroom onto the track and around the bend on cars and culture on sirius xm business radio Welcome back into Cars and Culture. I'm Jason Stein in Detroit. Now we'll continue our look back at some of the most influential interviews of 2022 on Cars and Culture. Last June, I interviewed Linda Zhang, the lead engineer on the F-150 for Ford. My interview now with Linda, where I start the conversation about the launch of the Lightning and what that means to the company going forward. It's been incredible. This has been a pivotal moment for us at the company. you know, really taking F-Series electric. And, you know, we had one shot to do it right uh, because of how big F-Series is and making sure that, you know, our customers who are used to the F-Series brand with built for tough knows that this truck is going to do what they need for it to do. Um, but at the same time, bringing in some really cool elements of electrification that they're not used to seeing on, an, uh, on a gas truck. Uh, for example, Mega Power Frunk, um, which is the large... Um, front trunk in the vehicle because you don't have an engine. Um, and with that, because of the battery electric, we, we open up this whole new space for our customers, as well as the awesome performance of near instant torque, zero to 60 in mid four seconds and 775 foot pounds of torque um, and 560 horsepower. I mean, what, what can beat that? And then leveraging the battery to be able to um, give our customer exportable power for intelligent backup power in the case of um, outages. It's absolutely incredible to be able to take this product to market um, and and really show America what electrification can be about with an all new electric truck is pretty incredible. And you recently had an experience where you had to use the truck's innovative electric power in a different way, one that would have never been used before with any vehicle. Describe that for me. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, just, uh, you know, the other day I had um, a power outage at home 
So because I had intelligent backup power set up with the truck in the, in the driveway, I was able to go out there and plug the truck in and um, the, 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 the whole house as an ecosystem is completely mm. alive at that point. Internet, electricity, you know, basically everything that we need to be able to go. And uh, it was barely using even the max within the vehicle. I was pulling about two kilowatt, um, you know, and it, it was out of 9.6. So um, using a fraction of uh, what the truck's even capable of, but we were able to keep going with homework, with uh, eating, <laughs> with electricity, with TV, and just about anything in the house. So it was pretty cool. And being able to actually even be that home where um, neighbors can come over and uh, you know do things as well is, is pretty incredible as well. What has surprised you about this journey that you've been on now, those four years that you've been on as the lead engineer of this, of this product? Well, I think it's really just how great of a job the team's done in terms of taking a, um, a strategy with F-Series, electrifying it with the principles that we really wanted to deliver and with the customer kind of at the center of that focus in mind, give them an even better tool than they have today with some of the really great features and, and you know, really leveraging the technologies that we have in the vehicle to give them that better experience, whether it's on the road or even off the road, like, um, you know, we explained with intelligent backup power. Uh, but in addition to that, I think it's just, you know, the fact that, you know, we set out to do quite a bit with this vehicle. And um, as a team, we pretty much delivered on all of those promises and in many cases surpassed it, whether it's payload, whether it's horsepower or whether, you know, it's just overall range for the vehicle. So the team's done an outstanding job and uh, we're excited to be able to bring that um, from an electrification perspective at Ford Motor Company to America. You had so many different various roles within the company leading up to this. And I know you were involved in some of the early electrification efforts, but how did the idea come for you to be involved in this truck? Well, the opportunity came up and at the time um, I had interviewed for it and it, it just seemed like a perfect perfect assignment for me, perfect project for me, because of my passion for electrification, but also from a business perspective and an engineering perspective, really being able to pull all that together and, and work with such an awesome team to be able to take the, the, the product all the way from concept to fruition to, to, you know, really getting it out on the roads for customers to, um, to, to get, to, to drive and uh, to experience. So that's been really exciting. And I think, you know, just having such a diverse background, uh, whether it's manufacturing, strategy, engineering, um, or, or the even the finance side of things has really helped me quite a bit um, in terms of uh, getting this project going. And uh, I, I, it's, been a, it's been an outstanding a, a project to be on. And we had such a great team here at Ford and not only Ford, but the supply base, as well as the UAW really helping all the way through to, to make this product great. Do you remember the day when you were told that the job you had interviewed for was yours? Yep, <laughs> I sure tell do. Me, I was. Tell uh, me about that day. Oh, I was so excited. Um, my my um, director at the time called me in the morning and said, "Hey, come on down. I got to talk to you about something." So I went down and I thought it was about you know whatever other project I was currently working on. 
Um, but um, he told me the great news and I was uh, just ecstatic. It was just so exciting to be able to work on such a great pro product, um, really taking the you know crown jewels of the company, just like you said, uh, F-Series, which you know has more revenue in, than some um, you know, major companies out there like Coca-Cola, Nike, McDonald's. I mean, that's amazing to be able to take this big of a project and um, electrify it um, and, and really leverage, leverage a lot of the electrical engineering background that I have as well. You're such a family oriented person. I imagine the, if the first phone call or was the invitation for you to go to your director's office, then the next phone call was you to your family, <laughs> you to your husband. Yep, absolutely. My my husband and also my parents, because um, you know they're they're a big part of my uh, entire journey here. Yeah, let's talk about that journey. Uh, you certainly talked about it when you introduced the truck, and you were you're very forthcoming about your own experience and the fact that you know this is a dream come true because you were just eight years old when your family decided that they were going to move, that everyone was going to move to America from China. And you landed in Indiana, <laughs> of all places. <laughs> Actually, landed in Chicago on your way to Indiana. Correct. And all of a sudden, you were in America, you know, Mandarin speaking, not really a lot of English, right? And imagine those days are still very vivid for you. Oh, definitely. I, I mean, I remember kind of getting off the plane and knowing my alphabet up to H, um, of which all of which I learned on the plane with the help of a lot of really nice stewardesses <laughs> um, and just getting off. And it was like the middle of the night, it was pitch dark, but you know, it, it America was just so beautiful because, you know, you had these highways that were just, just pristine and these lights and this, this car that my dad drove us in. And it was literally my first time in a car. And it just, it literally felt like a fairy tale for me um, all the way, you know, from Chicago O'Hare airport, <laughs> magnificent O'Hare um, all the way to West Lafayette. But it was, uh, you know, um, a pretty quiet ride. But at the same time, I just remember looking outside and just taking it all in and looking at the lights in the, in, in the car and, you know, being able to see my dad again for the first time because he had actually moved here about a year before us. So we hadn't actually seen him for pretty much a year. So seeing wow. him for the first time after about a year, it, it was really, um, it, it was just a very emotional time for me because of how, how much was happening for me at that moment, being in a new country, being with my father again, and just being able to, you know, really see what America was all about from the highways. Yeah, you you have described um, where you came from as being um, you know less fortunate than than where certainly America was when you landed. What do you remember about your time in China? Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, America is very different than China back in nineteen eighty five. Um, but I th I think for me, I think the biggest thing was when I was a kid. It was just a lot of you know um, you know family, a lot of. Um, running around with friends, a lot of studying, a lot of school, um, particularly in China, school is a big deal, right? I, <laughs> I think I remember in eighth grade, we were still required to take naps. And that was not something I really loved at all. <laughs> so that's <laughs> something I remember very clearly as loving when I got to, um, you know, school here in the US for a few months is that there's no naps. And, you know, we did all kinds of great activities. And we had pizza and chocolate milk for lunch. <laughs> <laughs> what could be better for an eight-year-old? What could be better? 
your father was in the graduate teaching program at Purdue. But interestingly, uh, and perhaps coincidentally later on in life, uh, he ends up working at Ford. Yes, what was he doing he at Ford? Um, he was working um, in the um, glass factory, actually, at the time with controls um, to, to make sure that from a quality perspective that we were um, making glass with quality and that from a, um, a throughput perspective that everything was, you know, in, a, in good shape and not cracking from, from that perspective. So he was taking a lot of his civil engineering background um, and use, leveraging it for kind of glass, um, glass work for the company. And then later on, he moved into more of the um, research labs and worked on, um, uh, you know, more advanced transmissions and such. But early on, that's what he did. And those are the days really that I remember the most because that was when I went to, um, got the opportunity to go to work with him and see how the glass factory, you know, ran and, you know, look at the things that he was looking at from a scrap perspective and trying to make, make sure that we, you know, minimize scrap because that's waste. So um, um, a lot of really great learnings and he, he really loved um, his career at Ford. And that was one of the things that we, that really brought me to Ford as, as a company is it's just a family company and uh, it, it gave our family our livelihood in a way. And uh, I just saw how, how great of a company it was. And that was one thing that drew me definitely to Ford Motor Company. Did you know you wanted to go into automotive or did you think about pursuing other careers as well? Um, I was very um, interested in automotive. I think for me, um, just in general, I loved engineering. So um, uh, it didn't, it didn't matter specifically what, but I think automotive is always something that that called out to me just because of the cultural significance of it. And then also from, from just my, my, you know, we, we talked about my first day in America, right? That was fundamentally just something that I had always drawn on me in a way. So um, I, I think that piece of it, Ford Motor Company as being a great company, those are all the reasons why I um, came to automotive. And I mean, it's like working on a big toy, I feel. <laughs> <laughs> so first day in America, you remember? Do you remember your first day at Ford? Yes, I do. Um, I uh, My first day at Ford was... Um, actually part of the new employee orientation program. And we, um, Ford does such a great job with uh, graduate um, or just student, uh, graduating students because they, at the time they, and they still do have this really wonderful Ford college graduate program. And um, it brings in the, you know, a lot of um, students that really have never been in the workplace. And what I loved about it is it gave you an orientation very quickly to what the company's about. And you spend the first, you know, um, basically week to two weeks um, seeing different areas within Ford, um, just, just kind of getting acclimated. You don't, you know, straight jump into a job and you sit there and work on whatever widget it might be. The company does a really good job investing, um, you know, really time in, in, energy into the new hires to give them that acclimation to what is the company all about. And that's what I remember is coming in and, um, you know, my first week spending a lot of time um, understanding about the company, uh, learning about the company, but then also understanding different areas within it. So we did, you know, like a plant tour at, um, at the at the um, Dearborn assembly plant at the time, which made Mustang. Um, and then, you um, 
different other areas uh, would bring in different folks to come and talk to us about their that side of the business. So, I mean, it, it's great because Ford's such a big company that and, and a global company that it's nice to be able to kind of understand what the different aspects are. That's our brief look back at some of the personalities this year on Cars and Culture. Thanks for listening. You can follow us on LinkedIn and Facebook, as well as on Instagram at Cars and Culture SXM and on Twitter at Cars Culture SXM. I'm Jason Stein in Detroit. We'll see you down the road in 2023. If you're a Springsteen fan, you just found the promised land. Hear rare interviews and performances. Live concerts. Is there anybody alive out there? Celebrity guest DJs. This is Rob Lowe. Hey, baby, it's little Steven here. And more exclusives when listening to Bruce Springsteen's channel. Welcome, Bruce Springsteen, to E Street Radio, your home away from home. Great to be here. E Street Radio, Sirius XM Channel 20. Do you have concerns about your heart health? Yeah. We've got a doc for that. Have questions about men's health, women's health, and everyday health? Sure. We've got a doc for that. Really? Interested in improving your exercise and eating routine? Yeah. We've got a doc for that. Mm. A nurse practitioner and a registered dietitian, too. Wow. Sirius XM's Doctor Radio. Your access to top doctors and health professionals every day. No copay, no appointment necessary. Sirius XM 110. Who knew? Hey, everybody, I'm Andy. Andy Cohen. Hear me and my awesome lineup on Radio Andy. Andy Cohen Live. Jeff Lewis Live. My Sisters Live. Reality Check. Revelations. Now with new shows. Gail King in the house. It's me, Tanks. The Jess Cagle Show. From pop culture, politics, music, to show-stopping moments. Jennifer Lopez. Lil Nas X. Lisa Kudrow. Jay Leonard. Ricky Martin. Goldie Hawn. Kevin Hart. I'm bringing oops back. All this on Radio Andy. Sirius XM 102 and on the SXM app. Comedy Central Radio brings you the biggest names in comedy. And Monday through Thursday, listen to The Bonfire. It's The Bonfire, everybody. With Big J Okerson and Dan So. It is a cavalcade of fun. Children should not be hearing this. But you should if you're an adult. The Bonfire. Every Monday through Thursday, starting at 6 p.m. East. Yeah, feeling great. Pretty crazy. Exclusively on Comedy Central Radio. Sirius XM 95. Back in full effect. I mean, we're all back full effect. Or listen anytime on the Sirius XM app. Hey, this is Karen Hunter, and at Urban View, we have a family of tough people. We are about making change. Who are willing to not just work, but to have a vision. We demand that the people take action. Use their power to make change. That's what really Urban View and the Madison Show is all about. We invite you and we challenge you to create the world you want to live in. It's not your typical talk channel. Urban View, Sirius XM 126. I'm Melissa Biggs Bradley, host of Passport to Everywhere. Join me as I share live updates from my travels and introduce you to people shaping the global landscape and answer your travel questions. New episodes air Thursdays at noon Eastern on Sirius XM Business Radio, channel 132.